Oh yeah, baby. Today is your day. Time to get out there on the run, 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 and have tons of fun, fun, fun. You're listening to Early Call Time. Oh yeah. Hey folks, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Early Call Time, the podcast where we discuss issues and news in the road race industry and get to know some of the people who keep it running. My name is Eli Ash, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tony Yamanaka. Hey, Tony. What's up, buddy? This is our first podcast, and effectively, do you want to break down kind of what the structure of what we're trying to do is? Yeah, so I guess this is episode zero, right? In, in episode one and onward, what we plan on doing is talking about some of the issues that affect the industry of mass participation in endurance sports events, and then have interviews with folks who are, again, the folks who keep the industry running, put on these events, and make it happen. But uh, before we start talking with other folks, we thought it would be best for our listeners to be able to get to know us. So uh, rather than interviewing uh, someone from the outside, I think we wanted to start episode one with uh, Tony interviewing me and me interviewing Tony. Now, we haven't structured this very much. So, Tony, do you want to be interviewed first or be the interviewee first? I think I'm going to take the first swipe at it in your general direction. So I think in this lobby, we're probably the two least interesting people that could possibly be floating around. For those of you that are listening in episode zero, our massive fan base, we're actually at the Olympic trials here in Atlanta, Georgia, and we are definitely the least fit people here, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I think with that in mind, tell us a little bit about your history with running and kind of where you personally started with it. Yeah, so um, uh, of the two of us, I think I'm the one who's more of what we'll call affectionately the run nerd. Uh, I do work in the industry, but I am also personally a lifelong runner. Started running, you know, parks and rec cross-country races of three quarters of a mile when I was in the third grade. Ran all throughout high school and college. Was very mediocre and entirely average division three runner um, uh, at Whitman College uh, out in Walla Walla, Washington, the place so nice they named it twice. Uh, and then uh, through my adult life, through my time working in the industry, I've had various peaks and valleys in my own training. What you'll find working in this industry is uh, the more you put on events for other people, not the less you run yourself, but maybe the less seriously you have to take your own running because you're committed to providing that experience for someone else. And the good time of year for training might be the time of year when you're not training because you're in your ramp up to your big event in your home base. Um, but yeah, still currently someone who runs for fitness. Uh, would love to run a sub three marathon as like my personal goal. Uh, I've run one marathon in 309. Uh, and again, Currently, I'm really at the point where every other day or so, three to five days a week, my wife and I are running three to five miles together uh, for personal fitness and general sanity uh, to maintain what little bit of it I have left. That's quite the track record. I had no idea you actually ran a 309. So yeah, no, my, my one marathon when I was shamed into running one marathon, working on a marathon, and everyone said, so do you run it? Well, no. Uh, have you run a marathon? Well, no. So I eventually, uh, in, in a previous office, I was shamed into running a marathon. Was so this in your Texas days? Yeah, this was in really? Texas. So my background in the industry, yeah, is uh, I'm currently uh, the director of race operations for the Sacramento Running Association and the race director of the California International Marathon, our flagship event. Uh, I've been there now for five and a half years, six CIMs, uh, and previously was the logistics and operations manager for Conley Sports, which owned and operated the Austin Marathon as its flagship event in Austin, Texas. Uh, and it was while I was working at Conley Sports, which was my first job in the industry, and in fact, my first real job uh, of any sort, um, 
is when I was uh, shamed into uh, running the Jacksonville Marathon uh, back in 2011, I think it was. Um, and that was uh, several levels of fitness ago um, and uh, now uh, two cities ago, now that I'm based out in Sacramento for uh, CIM and the Sacramento Running Association. That's amazing. I've known you for about 10 years and I knew none of that. It could be because I'm a bad friend. Maybe I just don't ask questions, um, but I was generally not aware that you'd only run one. I definitely did not know we ran a 309. We've never guessed Jacksonville in my entire life that that's the one you chose. Mm -hmm. um, but that's super interesting. And you mentioned that Conley Sports was your first job in the industry. Is that your first... I guess, approach into actually producing or putting on a race? Or did you take the path that many of us do, which is volunteer, glorified volunteer, and then effectively work your way into the industry? So I started as an intern. Uh, I uh, moved to Austin for an internship with Conley Sports, which was a capstone experience for my graduate degree, which is a sports business MBA from San Diego State University. Uh, I went there. Uh, knowing that I wanted to work in endurance or Olympic sports, and also that uh, spending a year in San Diego in my 20s uh, would not be bad, and it was not. Uh, but then at the end of the academic coursework uh, for that program, there's a capstone experience and a thesis, and uh, I was looking to work again in endurance or Olympic sports, and Conley Sports was hiring an intern. Uh, I found out after the fact that they were highly suspicious of why someone would want to move from San Diego to Austin for an unpaid internship. Um, but they flew me out uh, for an interview. Uh, I charmed their pants off in the interview with my winning smile um, and uh, became an intern, which ultimately, ultimately turned into uh, being uh, the warehouse guy, logistics and operations manager there. Um, and yeah, that was really my first time being involved in putting on major events. Like the first major event I was involved with was um, as an intern uh, with some focus actually more on sustainability and green programs at that point uh, than there was on uh, the logistics, uh, which I transitioned into once it became a job. Um, uh, was the Austin Marathon in 2010. Um, however, I will say my absolute first experience producing a race was our Division Three cross-country team at Whitman went over budget one year. And uh, it wasn't necessarily that we were supposed to put on a race to make up that budget differential. It was almost like it was our penance to the department that we had to do a <laughs> fundraiser. And so our coach, you know, put on a community 5K and I was like on our megaphone, uh, the announcer for that race. He knew that I liked to talk and was loud. Some people thought I didn't need the megaphone. So for our 60 person, 80 person, 40 person, whatever it was, 5k, uh, I would out and back on uh, the Mill Creek trail, which we ran on all the time, uh, for our, uh, training runs. Um, we put on what was certainly an unpermitted, uh, barely timed, uh, 5k, uh, fun run fundraiser, which I was the announcer for on a megaphone, uh, to raise money for our over budget, uh, recently completed division three cross country season. That's very thorough. <laughs> and we may possibly have the single podcast on the planet where people actually choose to go at half speed. You know how people try to play it like at one and a half speed so they get through it faster? This is the opposite. Yeah, you are going to play it slower just to understand. And what I call the Eli ear, where you have to spend at least 30 minutes to an hour with you to then ease into it. It's almost like reading Shakespeare. Like you read it for a couple chapters, you have no idea what's happening, and then all of a sudden it clicks. That's how I have to function in my head. I'm like, process what Eli is saying. So we're going to listen at half speed is, is what you're saying? For, I think for it's going to happen. Us? Yeah, gotcha. okay. I think it's going to need. And you actually had a really good segue. So it's how you got involved in the running industry. So it sounds like something that's always been a passion of yours. Um, 
you know, we kind of make the joke in the industry, which you heard, it's like, what did you do in your past life before your race life? Um, but you're probably few and far between the people that like your race life is your like first and only career. So that's really, really cool. Incredibly interesting. Clearly you have a passion for it and you're doing extremely well out at SIM, as the Canadians say, or oh, CIM. Yeah, our marketing team would not uh, allow me uh, <laughs> to not go uh, and correct that. It is CIM. If you say it like the card in your phone, we will shame you. Um, it is CIM, or the California International Marathon. It's true. I had to just say it to the Canadians. Um, so they uh, So they understood, yeah. yes. Perfect. And there's quite a bit of Canadians out here. I hear John Berg's floating around somewhere. And, <laughs> um, yeah, should be should be good. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you professionally on this pod and definitely learned something new about you in the past couple minutes that I just had no idea was even remotely part of your life. So um, very cool. Awesome. So Tony, are we turning the tables now? Am I getting to interview you? It seems that that's the case. Yes. All right. So uh, Tony Yamanaka, um, real quick, uh, before your personal history with running, um, who are you in the running industry? Uh, Where do you live? What do you do? So I am based out of Austin, Texas, and uh, my core focus in the industry is in event operations. So I, I have, and you'll learn over time, kind of the identity crisis within the industry. I am not a race director. I am not necessarily an operations director. I'm not a sponsorship guy or a marketing guy or a strategy guy. I tend to dabble and ebb and flow in a lot of different aspects of the industry because it's just so fascinating. Um, but what I get paid to do is to be the vice president of operations um, for Event Southwest. So it's a full um, service production agency company um, based out of Dallas. So our flagship event is the Dallas Marathon, but we do anywhere between 28 to 35 events a year, uh, varying in scale. So turnkey, Dallas Marathon to super, super hyper niche focus areas like the um, start line at Houston Marathon, which is what I manage, or even stuff like going out to audit start lines. Um, I did that for Boston Marathon as well as your race, Eli. Um, so that's kind of the, the swing of my operation stuff, um, kind of as side second job. Um, I'm on the board of Running USA. And a lot Thank of that, um, <laughs> a lot of that is um, really just trying to push the industry into modern times, um, despite all the battles and pushback. So I spend a good amount of time doing qualitative and uh, research into the market and consumer behavior, um, and that's how I get involved with uh, essentially speaking gigs or hosting conferences, summits, stuff like that. So. Um, Again, very difficult to define, but that's kind of, that's who I am ish. And so how did you, Tony, um, end up in this role, uh, in your current professional capacity as event Southwest and kind of this industry leader in research and, uh, again, moving the industry forward, whether it be on the system experience front or these other areas, how did you land where you are? Yeah, I mean, if we want to take it like back, way back, way back into time, um, I'm actually not running was not like my first choice. Yeah, what was your in. What's your favorite sport, Tony? Soccer. Yes. Yeah. So I went to a school just north of Austin, Texas, high school, and in order to play soccer, you had to be on the cross country team. It was required. Um, so we had like the most fit team on the planet. It was amazing. Um, the talent was par for the course, um, but because we ran every team into the ground, like we went to state, like we got to do really cool stuff. And that was my first exposure to it. Um, so much so that most of the soccer team actually ended up bailing out and then they became cross country runners. 
Um, I ran into college, did not run on the college program. I didn't play sports in college. Um, I went to a small private school um, and you couldn't, I think you had to graduate in like four and a half years or something. And with the tuition being what it was that like sports did not mean that much to me because I am average in every sense of the word. Um, I would dispute that, but okay. <laughs> um, in terms of sport anyway, yeah, I'm not fantastic at sport, but anyways, that's, uh, that's how I got into running. Um, and then I kind of faded off during college years. I still ran periodically. Um, but then I started dating my now wife and her sick joke of a present was actually a registration to the Austin half marathon. So that was a big pivot in my life where, um, I basically stopped smoking cigarettes like on the day. Um, started jogging and then like got into actual long distance running. Although I think my bread and butter is still like the 5k, 10k. Um, it's more well suited. And real quick, you mentioned your wife, uh, uh, Christina, uh, who, um, I worked with at Conley sports. And one of the things we've talked about on this show is we ourselves aren't that interesting, but many people in the industry are. And one of the things we've talked about having our drop-in segments. So I'm going to spring this on Christina, who's sitting here with us right now uh, on this drop-in segment. Uh, so Christina, uh, what did, uh, you see in this, uh, smoking admittedly average man, um, when you, um, (laughs) decided you wanted, uh, to one date him and then to make him start running with you? Well, hey, Eli. Um, excited to be on the show. Excited to have you. <laughs> she doesn't look excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I met young Tony here back in 2008. Um, and we met on Halloween, and he was dressed up as a very cute spoon. So that's really what hooked me in. You weren't like a fork or anything related. This no. wasn't like a meat cute no, situation. It was no, not. okay. No, it was not. <laughs> so, yeah, I. Um, I decided that for our first Christmas together, being that I was young and I didn't have a ton of money and I worked at the Austin Marathon and Half Marathon, that I would get him a free entry to the Austin Half Marathon. And that was my free Christmas gift to him. Gotcha. So, yeah, I, I like, just like to think that I started it all. Yeah. And then so you, Christina, uh, obviously uh, play a role in the running industry as well. Uh, do you want to give us uh, kind of what you do now and maybe a little bit of your uh, background in the industry? Maybe gone all the way back sure. to 2008. You have, I believe, of the three of us at this table, the longest history in the running industry. I think so. Yeah. So I um, started in the industry in 2006. Um, when I graduated from college, I had moved to Austin, Texas, and I started with the then Austin Marathon Foundation, which then turned into Conley Sports, which was the uh, production company that produced the Austin Marathon and Half Marathon. So I have been in the world for a while now. Um, I was with Conley Sports up until 2016, where I then transitioned to the sponsor side of the industry, and I now work for Cliff Barn Company. I'm a marketing manager who manages all of our event uh, partnerships and sponsorships in the southern U.S., so it's, uh, I no longer have to get up at two o'clock in the morning to put on start lines anymore. I can. <laughs> uh, no longer as a part of your day job, but uh, one of the things that I think folks uh, will find in this industry is a lot of folks wear a lot of different hats mm-hmm. and Event Southwest relies on folks like you. Uh, Christina, uh, what is the most recent start line you have worked for someone who no longer works start lines? Oh yeah, I was, I worked the Houston Marathon a couple, last month. <laughs> so <laughs> so you no longer work start lines as of five weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Until a few weeks Until from now, when she will surely be doing do it again. One. Yeah, Got I don't it. know. I I just uh, 
I like being able to dip my toe back into the production side of things. Um, I think it keeps me sharp. Um, and it's also what you will, or what most people listening to this podcast will find out is that this industry is full of very cool people. So when I get the opportunity on a weekend where I'm not doing a Cliff Bar event, just hop on over and maybe Event Southwest will have me or I'll go up to Chicago Marathon um, just to hang out with some really cool folks. And wake up <laughs> really very, early. very early. Yes. Um, so, Tony, um, do you remember the first race that you were involved in? And by the way, Christina, thank you so much, one, for being our first pop-in, and two, for putting up with Tony. Um, you're, you're a saint. <laughs> Carry on, guys. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sitting in. Um, first race that I was involved in, I mean, it would have been one of Christina's races. So it was either, um, man, it may have been Decker or it may have been a rogue 10K up in Cedar Park. All I remember was that I was given a box truck from like an actual operation standpoint and milk crates with gallon jugs. And I was just told to go deploy the water stops. Um, and I, it was myself and then a husband of someone else also producing the race. So us two were not in the industry, just from an operation standpoint, we were literally just kind of told to like go and do it. I believe the term you're looking for is voluntold. Yes. Voluntold. Um, and that's the first like impactful memory I have. I mean, I do remember, um, I must have done metal unwrapping for 3M was my first Austin marathon comic sports related role. Um, and by say like metal unwrapping, like literally standing in the finish line shoot, unwrapping individually wrapped metals, unfurling the ribbon, um, and then trying not to get yelled at by David Grice. Um, and it was at that moment that I appreciated that man. Hopeful future podcast guest, David Grice, oh, uh, the most interesting man in the world. Yeah. He is the most direct guy. And I think it was up until three years ago, we finally saw him smile. Um, <laughs> It's, in, it's on the calendar somewhere. I marked it somewhere. Um, but he's awesome. And I think at that point, I realized, like, man, I really love this industry. Um, funny enough, after that role, I was like, hey, Christina, like, can I get a cooler job than, like, unwrapping metals? And I guess I got what I asked for. I had to drive the lead vehicle for the half marathon. But it was also the year that they had all the USATF people on. And I got railed by USATF because I'd never driven a lead vehicle. This was before I even started. So like I had already failed in their eyes for not having experience driving a car on a course, I guess. Um, but you know, that team was great. Everyone put a lot of confidence in me. And the coolest thing I was told is we pay the cops. If they do not move out of the way, honk your horn and drive through them. I was like, okay, that's super scary to me personally, but I guess I will do it. Um, but yeah, that's, I have a lot of very, very fun, fond, like sweaty palms, flop sweat memories from those early years. And out of all of these sweaty palm flop sweat moments, which gross, um, <laughs> uh, you decided that in your previous life, you were going to leave that and pursue getting into the running industry professionally. Yep. Uh, how did you go about doing that? I think this is a cool story. I think this is probably like started from the bottom. Now we hear, <laughs> <laughs> if I may quote. Um, yeah, I knew I wanted to do it. It's an incredibly difficult industry to get into as a profession um, and not being like a, a gig guy. Um, so I just volunteered a ton. And I do recall getting up for an office job where I was in a cubicle. And even before like the running industry thing became a, a dream, I guess, or a reality that it could happen was I felt like the biggest sellout on the planet. Because the one thing I told myself in college is like, I would just not work in a cubicle. That's my only goal. And lo and behold, 
graduate during like the biggest downturn in the economy in 2008, I took like the first cubicle job I could get so I could actually have money. Um, but yeah, I was getting dressed. My alarm went off. I had 15 minutes, wake up at 7.01, out the door at 7.16. I got every day I had my routine. It was perfect. Um, but I was getting dressed and Christina was sitting in bed with a cup of coffee watching the Today Show. I was like, I've made a terrible mistake in my life. Like, I need to pursue whatever Christina's doing. Um, again, it's because it's very interesting people and it's a cool subject matter, but also the lifestyle aspect of this industry. We probably work more than the average person does, but the way that we work is so dysfunctional that it's you appreciate it. Um, in terms of lack of consistency and just flexing hours. Um, so, yeah, that's... And then you decided you wanted to get into the industry. You were volunteering. You made a major life change uh, to uh, facilitate your move into the industry when you moved across an ocean uh, in order to uh, get what you thought would be the expertise you needed to get into the industry. Uh, can you tell us, one, how you guys made that decision and uh, two, what that decision was? Yeah. So that's a super loaded question. Um, the location was Scotland in Edinburgh. And that's where I got my master's degree in marketing communications. And I did a focus, my dissertation effectively was on the self-concept construct. I don't even remember the, how it is. Basically, what's the, what's the one key takeaway, Tony? That is why uh, runners run. Yeah. Basically why you run a marathon and it's for like progress, personal progress. People do it because they want to be better people, whether that's in fitness, mentally, health, have a challenge, climb a mountain, whatever it is. They do not do it for the medals. They do not do it for the shirt. If they do, that's not the whole story. So that's my, I can go on that for days, but yes. Um, we'll do that later. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. I had traveled to Scotland. A good friend of mine was a road scholar. He was at Oxford. One day we decided to take the car and drive around uh, the UK, ended up in Edinburgh one night, loved the city. And I jokingly told him, you know, at the pub, I was like, I'm going to move here someday. Fast forward a few years. Um, I was unhappy with my cubicle job. I wanted to go back to school, um, get my master's and um, marketing is, it's very global. And the way I saw it, it's like, why am I going to study international marketing in the US? Why not study marketing internationally? Um, so that's how I ended up at the University of Edinburgh. Um, and then my professors were awesome. They let me uh, drag on my research longer than they probably should have or started a lot earlier. Um, and they definitely coached me, still talk to them to this day. And they helped me vet a lot of the research I do now. And how did that marketing degree transition back into a job in uh, the running industry? Uh, super slowly. And, you know, a <laughs> lot of that research hasn't really, um, I haven't reaped the benefits of it very much up until probably about two years ago. Um, when we moved back, um, I, I was volunteering again and um, at races, still trying to figure out how to make it work, um, working wherever I could. Um, I believe I worked... I don't know what I did, honestly. I took a few jobs that kind of flogged with a startup. Um, in, endurance, loosely based endurance, I think is how you would define it. Um, but I was doing contract work for Conley Sports. Uh, my now boss volunteered within my team, and then they were impressed, uh, offered me a job. Um, the job was in Dallas. I declined, even though I didn't have a job. Um, and then they called me about a week later and said, fine, you could stay in Austin. And I've been with Event Southwest since. Gotcha. Um, what is your favorite part of what you get to do with your day job with Event Southwest? And then what is your favorite part of what you get to do outside of your day job in the running industry? 
Uh, I think favorite part within Event Southwest is finding solutions for clients. So not having um, any owned events ourselves, we are quote unquote like the hired guns to solve problems. Um, but the very cool part is that we do everything from like American Heart Association Heart Walk to going to audit a world marathon major. So it's a lot of different solutions and just tackling problems. Um, so every day is pretty different. And, you know, now we're lucky enough to have grown where I actually oversee two account managers. So getting them trained up to be able to produce an event within my parameters that I guess we've established at Event Southwest, along with um, Lear and Michael, the two owners, you know, it took us a long time to get this quote unquote playbook in place. Um, so getting to train these guys day to day and see them get exponentially better at their jobs is super, super rewarding. Um, and it's great to see. I would love to be the guy who just pops in on event day and like shakes hands, tells the team good job, and then like runs the race maybe someday. Um, not quite there yet, still throwing barricade every now and then. But, you know, that's probably the favorite part of day to day. As far as like outside of day to day in the industry, it's, it's still trying to figure out a way to pull this industry into, again, like modern times. So this is more than just like a logo on a sponsorship on the sign. It's like, how do you activate properly to create a better experience for your participants? Like that's the long play, right? We don't want to just a quick short spike. And it's working again with colleagues, friends in the industry, like the folks over at BibRay were amazing, P3R, um, JT Service, like all those guys, like they get it. And they're doing a really, really cool job. So just being in the mix as much as possible so I can learn from those folks is, is probably my favorite part. And then where are you in your personal running journey today? How does running, not as a professional, but as a person, uh, fit into your life? It's a, it's a sanity check, honestly. Um, I run as much as I can. So I was training for a half, probably about two years ago, and I had like a mild tear in my hamstring during the half and then like three weeks later I ran and ran another half and then I had a mild tear in the other hamstring so basically both of my hamstrings had slight tears in them um, turned out that my gait was severely flawed and since then what I've been doing is um, really just combining running with other aspects of sport I have a very difficult time just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again hence the very weird jobs that we have um, so right now I run anywhere from three to one time a week and then mix in weight training and like hit training so trying to trying to be active six days a week so Tony the big question that I think we've decided we're going to ask all of our guests um, and this is is a loaded question, which is why we want to ask everyone it, is uh, do you run with headphones in? I do. Yeah, 100%. I can't hear myself pant and my feet slapping when I get tired. And again, I'm doing it for fun. Um, I don't often run with headphones during a race. Um, yeah, mostly because I have, I think, weird shaped ears and every headphone falls out. You have adorable ears. Well, me. they're not suited for earbuds, so I need to figure something else out. But yeah, I do run with headphones. I think it's okay. Um, I am a fan of like the one earbud in, one out, so I can at least hear when I'm about to get run over. Um, and I have been not like hit hit by cars, but I've been like hip checked by at least three to five cars in my like outdoor running history, which is a decent amount of times. Wow. Um, so the final question that we do want to ask, uh, all uh, guests on the show um, is it's the end of strike uh, at the let's say your biggest or your flagship or your favorite event of the year um, 
what time is it, where do you go, and what do you do at the end of that event? End of strike. I mean, end of strike doesn't technically end until, like, the Monday or Tuesday after, right? Yeah. That's the unfortunate part. Um, but kind of take a load off, like, everyone cross the finish line, roads are back open. Um, to me, it varies by location. So you have different rituals for different races. Um, Dallas Marathon, we go back to the A-loft, and everyone hangs out in the lobby there, and then we all walk to a restaurant together, I think, on Main. And we've been going to the same one for three to five years. Anyone that's left on the team that didn't want to get out immediately. Um, Chicago is different. Um, what? Oh man, I wish I could remember the name of the tavern. I, I can't remember it right, right now. Right there by the park, though. Yeah, it's very uh, close is, to the park uh, down the uh, down the street from Scout. Um, I like to go there and uh, often alone. It just became a thing, and I go take a single fireball shot, and then I go to bed. Um, it's very awkward, but it's gotten into this thing where people like start asking me, it's like, hey." are you going? Are you going to get your fireball shot? I'm like, yeah. It's like, I'm leaving in like 10 minutes. They're like, cool, we'll go with you. And now it's a little bit like Pied Piper. Like you look behind you and it's just a bunch of people. Like, like we're going for the fireball shot. I don't know that you want to compare yourself <laughs> to the Pied Piper, Tony. Although a fireball shot might be like jumping off a cliff. Oh, yes. it's 100% that. Yeah, it's like, sorry guys. Like, let's just pile it on at this point. But yeah, it varies. And it's not, you know, over the years, it's gotten far more or less booze focused. It's more of just like, let's sit down, like reflect on like what we did get a couple cool stories from everyone yeah we'll have a drink or two um, but we are rarely staying out till like midnight 1am now and that's typically like go to bed as early as possible awesome so Tony uh, I feel like folks have really gotten to know you uh, soccer participant experience Edinburgh and fireball shots um, and of it. course we've also gotten to know your wife uh, Christina thank you again Christina for being our first pop in um, so uh, know that uh, I am ecstatic to be doing this with you there is no one I would rather be hosting this podcast with I'm really glad that our folks have gotten to know you and I am really excited to see uh, where early call time takes us and uh, ultimately who we get to talk to and who we get to learn from and who we get to introduce uh, our numerous uh, listeners to uh, these folks in the industry uh, who again are some of the most interesting people in the world and certainly more interesting than you or I um, so I want to say thank you for embarking on this early call time journey with me likewise pleasure to meet you all over again and learn new facts about you we didn't ask you about the earbud running questions so just for the sake of consistency in episode zero yes. music while running yes or no I have never run a step outside with headphones in my ears um, I will do it on a treadmill. Uh, I will um, listen to a podcast while cooking or around the house. But uh, if I am outside of the house, I do not have earbuds in. I think one ear, one uh, one in, one out is the responsible way to do it, for sure, if you are going to. But personally for me, uh, we all engage with a lot of things a lot of the time. And uh, running is a chance to not do that. And also from a safety standpoint, uh, and I have, uh, while running, um, never been hit by a car. Uh, and I don't know that it can be traced as one-to-one to, uh, <laughs> my headphones in, but I do notice a difference uh, between headphones in and headphones out guy here. I think it's where I was running, like <laughs> downtown Austin through the alleys. It's probably yeah. not the brightest idea or like New You'll York. get bumped into by things other than cars it's in those places true. sometimes too. I uh, agree. Pedicabs and all kinds of folks. Um, but no, yeah, I, uh, from a safety standpoint, uh, very firmly believe, uh, that, uh, outdoors, uh, I should not be running with headphones and so I don't. Perfect.
perfect. Great. Host, co-host, already divided. Um, good trend. That's oh, yeah, this is our hot on. takes segment where yeah. we just disagree on things I now. Love it. Into it. <laughs> yes. Well, cool, man. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Tony, thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to the next one, too. So that'll do it for episode zero of Early Call Time. Uh, we hope you guys will stick around for a few more of these with us. Our hope is that this is something we can release on a monthly basis, and uh, what that means is expect to hear from us about a month from now with hopefully a guest who, again, as always, will be more interesting than me. Or me. And is someone who will keep the running industry running. Thanks so much for listening to Episode Zero. And that's a wrap for this episode of Early Call Time, the podcast where we discuss issues and news in the road race industry and get to know some of the people who keep it running. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In addition, if you have any questions, comments, or guests you would like us to invite, please send us an email at earlycalltimepod at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you bright and early on the next episode of Early Call Time.